Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I am your host, Christine Gritman. I'm coming at you every single week on the Adweek Podcast Network and on YouTube, talking to guest experts about different specific elements of branding, especially personal branding. If you are listening to us on the Adweek Podcast Network, I drop new episodes every Monday. Make sure to subscribe, and if you like it, leave a comment or a review. And if you are watching us on YouTube on Fridays, again, also subscribe, leave comments. We love hearing from you. All right, so this week's episode is about a really, really crucial element of any brand, especially, especially a personal brand, which is trust. What is trust? What does it mean? How do we use these online channels and branding in general to help establish it? And as our guest today, I have a gentleman who has literally written the book on trust, um, which we'll talk about in a moment. But this is, uh, today's guest is Chris Brogan. Chris Brogan, as you will hear, has, has been an early adapter of various forms of website, social media, blogging, all of that jazz. He's been, he's seen it all. He's seen the whole journey. And so he's going to talk to us about why we, how we can use these tools to establish and nurture trust for our brands. And also maybe even the shifts that he's seen over the years. He has worked with Fortune 100 companies. He is currently the chief of staff at AppFire. And without any further ado, let's bring him on. Welcome, Chris Brogan. Hi, Hello, how you doing? I'm well. I'm glad to be able to talk to you before I ascend into the spaceship that's above my head. Um, it'll be fine. Yeah, uh, it will be. Everything's good. Just go towards the light. Not not the bad one, just the spaceship one. Mm. <laughs> That's the good one. <laughs> good plan. All right, Chris. So I briefly alluded in the intro to a bit of your background, and we talked about it a little bit before we went live. But just for the folks at home, um, I'd, lo- I'd love for you to share your journey about how you've been sort of at the forefront of a lot of this uh, this online revolution, as it were, and, and just a, a quick version of your journey. I caught a few waves. I was very lucky. I had the opportunity to, I started journaling back in 1998. That's what they used to call blogging. Uh, In 2005, I was uh, someone who started his first podcast because I thought that technology might be really interesting. I was user 10,202 on Twitter. So I was on these various social networks and, and other things. And even before any of those dates, I was using online uh, bulletin board services way back in the day. Almost no one here used to BBS, but let's pretend. But what I was doing every single time was I was trying to build connections, build relationships, trying to establish something that went beyond, you know, typical business marketing, that sort of a thing, because I felt like 
there were other opportunities. There were other ways that companies might eventually be able to connect with people. And in the interim, that I could connect with people. I, I didn't have to have the same conversations with the same people anymore. So one thing I kind of realized early in that experience was, boy, it's going to be really hard for people to establish trust when they're working at a distance. So then how do you do that? Absolutely, especially in the early days of the internet, because I was exposed to it fairly young, because my dad worked at IBM, my mom was a computer science professor. So I saw some of this stuff, you know, in the in the 90s, I was I was alive, and conscious. And, you know, it was interesting, because there was sort of a, a gap of how real is this, in a sense, you knew you were connecting with real people. But to some people, it was like, well, this is almost a separate reality, it could almost be like a game, you know, but then other people realized that, you know, no, this is a real connection opportunity. And the gap in between, I feel like is what makes that jump to trust a little bit difficult, especially in the early days. So um, given that, in those early days when this whole talking to people online thing was was fairly new to all of us, um, what do you feel were some of the most important elements of establishing trust back then? I think all along it's always been a mix of really simple details. And I think we're, what really went crazy with online stuff is that people just didn't understand how to bring this forward. So Let's talk about long before there was an internet. How did people establish trust? They did things like, you know, fellas played golf on the golf course when business was a man's game. And they would run around uh, a big fat lawn with a bunch of holes poked in it with a bunch of metal sticks chasing a very small ball and hoping to do it with the least amount of effort possible. That's how they gathered. And as anyone learns from doing such a sport, such as it were, is that you're not really there to play the game, what you're really there to do is have some reason to have a conversation while you're doing something else with your hands. This could be the same as gathering around a campfire. This is the same as what used to happen in mercantile businesses thousands of years ago. There was a real difference between the person who came in and asked what the price of the beans were on this side of the street versus the other, versus the kind of person who knew the merchant's uh, children's names and knew what was going on in their world and understood uh, relationship-based selling as far back as then. All I did was once I saw the digital tools that accommodated the same sorts of things, I realized, hey, I think there's ways we can bring some of this information forward and do it nowadays as well. So that's how I started this concept. And I know that you did some work with, you know, Fortune 100 companies and all of that who needed to know how to leverage these new tools. But I imagine that it was at times, either a bit of a hard sell that these things, you know, mattered and weren't a flash in the pan, or maybe just like a different type of hurdle, you know, it what it's a very different game from the golf course. So what were some of the things, what were some of the challenges that you faced in terms of getting those earlier companies to embrace this and to realize what it actually was? I was lucky because I was early. So for instance, when I went to the headquarters of GM, uh, chairman of, of the time, Fritz Henderson, he was saying, listen, my CMO says I'm doing amazing and my CFO says I'm not. What do you know? And I went to search.twitter.com a million years ago and just typed in GM sucks, Chevy sucks, you know, uh, Chevy trucks, terrible, you know, whatever. And then just looked at all of the results. And he suddenly had live real-time information from actual user accounts. This is back in the days before there were a lot of bots on Twitter. 
And the experience was just such that he could immediately understand, oh, that's what this is about. Other times uh, I went to a healthcare company in Louisiana and they were saying, gee, this new fellow, Barack Obama, is talking a lot about how he wants to do this this care act. And I'm not sure it's going to work, but sure, we'd love to have a bit of the conversation on that. How do we do that? And I talked about how you could use the various digital tools to connect with people directly. All of my projects, I was early, so I didn't have to convince a lot of people why they should do it. I had to show them serving suggestions on how they could do it. In World War II, there would be recipe guides next to the gross cuts of meat that were left behind for uh, citizens because all the good meat was taken overseas. So you might see somebody sitting there looking at, at a recipe for cow tongue and going, ugh. Except that that's what they had available, so they needed a great recipe to how to make it good. That's what I did with all the various digital tools. I was saying, gee, a podcast is one thing when it's outside the firewall. It's something very different as a training and education and onboarding project when it's inside the firewall. And so on we went. And so I don't know that I had it too difficult, again, because I was just so at the early bleeding edge side of things, explaining to people like Sony Electronics USA or Titleist Golf or Scott's Lawn Care, what they could do with it. But I can tell you that even so, even as people were saying, yeah, I can get along with this, they weren't always buying it. You know, the the head of um, chief technology officer of uh, Thompson, uh, when the merger of Thompson Reuters happened, was looking at me saying, none of this has anything to do with my world. And I said, then it probably doesn't because I'm not there to con- consider explaining this to someone. Meantime, there were all kinds of things that the rest of Thompson Reuters found that they could do with it. So I just sort of went where I was accepted and I went where I was uh, acknowledged. I'd say there's a much harder road this many decades later. Yeah, I love the fact that you knew that you could be in that powerful position of not convincing them, but taking the already convinced and showing them how. Now, one thing that you mentioned that I really liked is you introduced to some of these companies the concept of social listening, looking up, you know, Chevy sucks or whatever. Um, to that end, um, that that draws the you know, that worked in web one as well as web two, if we're defining web one as sort of read only and web two as more the social media era of read plus write. So you, you've bridged that gap. You were a part of both. How do you feel establishing trust as a brand shifted during that shift from web one to web two, where it was a matter of read only people put out what they put out versus read plus write. How did the importance of and the way of gaining brand tr- trust shift from Web 1 to Web 2? This led to what Julian Smith and I went after when we wrote the book Trust Agents. One of the things that we had started to do is we started to reach and connect with all these various people who were representing brands on the backs of their own personal selves. So at Comcast, there was uh, an account called Comcast Cares run by Frank Eliasson originally, just himself for quite a long time. And he took it upon himself to do this. He was a customer service guy who decided, hey, there's people complaining about Comcast on Twitter. Maybe I can help out. Uh, Lionel Menchaca at Dell, who is uh, Dell's first corporate blogger way back in the day. And that was one of the bridgers, you know, because that happened a lot further back. Then one of the other uh, details about uh, Lionel's work was that there were so many people complaining about Dell. Jeff Jarvis had written the famous article, Dell Hell, talking about just all the problems he was having with the Dell hardware. And 
Michael reached out to Lionel to kind of soothe some of that. And Lionel said, oh, that's not how it works. You have to listen. You have to connect. You have to interact. Um, companies started to realize that if they had people that we could connect with and interact with that didn't have to be the CEOs, didn't have to be the, the senior or executive leadership team, but were someone trusted within the organization, not kind of a court-appointed lawyer, but someone who really believed. So we had these kinds of people. Uh, Christopher Barger was at General Motors, Scott Monty at Ford. Uh, we had all kinds from all over the place. Uh, that uh, Jennifer Sisney was at Kodak. There were all kinds of people who just represented the brand in a very different way. And so the concept was, you know, how do we help educate other companies to do this? How do we show them how not to do it? How do we give them the idea that this is some ways that they can build a better relationship with their people? So it sounds like in general, the key really was engage back. I, ma I imagine a lot of these companies were used to the old way where company broadcasts a message, people receive it. That's just how it goes. And now it sounds it sounds like from what you're saying that it was really about engaging back in a more human way. I'm, I'm really glad that they seemed to get that. Um, let's talk about your book. Um, you have several books, of course, but this one, because we're talking about trust, we'll talk about trust agents. Now, that was 2009, you said, right? And it was, a, it was a bestseller. I'd love to hear where that book came from and and what the basic premise was. It came from the idea that is there were going to be all these people who needed this information. So there were all these people who are going to understand how do you build trust? How do you look for elements of trust? How do you show people in a world where, okay, so when we connect and interact with people, uh, the visual things that we pick up are very different than the verbal things we pick up are very different than, for instance, writing. So, for instance, if someone's writing uh, information back and forth to somebody else, you only get about 11% of the possible cues of whether or not someone has good intentions, bad intentions, whether they're reliable, trustworthy, whether they're the kind of person who's trying to be helpful to you in a moment, whether they're being sarcastic. So verbal body language, all those sorts of things. We were starting to explain that there's, there's so many more ways to kind of build relationship than just in, in textual uh, feedback. So that's part of what we talked about. We also came up with a, a sort of a framework that people could follow. And what we said was that uh, the first thing you have to do is make your own game, which is to say that uh, you can't do what every other company around you is doing. So, for instance, uh, as Ford really did what they were doing, they had, they had a really cool – they had one of the early uh, influencer programs called the Ford Fiesta program where they took one of their small entry-level college people kind of cars – and gave out a smattering of them to people who were willing to make videos and talk about the experience. But then the difference was also, how can you do it good and bad? I was involved in a very early uh, scandal because I had taken money and done a sponsored post on my blog. I love this story because, uh, you know, all the ad magazines, all the ad websites were saying, that Chris Brogan, he's Satan. Ted Murphy at IZ is a bad <laughs> person because he took sponsored money to work with a product. And so, you know, it, the way the post was written was sponsored post shopping trip at Kmart. And the first paragraph, this is a sponsored post. They gave me some money. They wouldn't have ever given me enough money to make it. So I would tell them, tell anybody anything different, blah, blah, blah. So in it, I, I do a, uh, they gave me a gift card to go wander around Kmart. So I went with my kids and we bought toys to fill one of those toys for tots things at the holiday. Um, 
And in the How process, terribly of selfish of you I to know. take money a, to help poor children. <laughs> what a jerk face head. So uh, I ended up, you know, I did the pro- I did the project. I wrote the post. I did some video and stuff for it. I showed people the good and the bad of what I experienced shopping at the Kmart and uh, went on with my day. Got yelled at for a while. And then the whole Internet caught up like a few years later. They were like, oh, I wish I could get some sponsored posts. And brands were like, oh, I wish I could sponsor some posts. And, you know, we were off to the races. But in trust agents, I wrote about it. And I talked about the fact that, you know, why to do it and why to accept the negatives as well. Like when I wrote about and talked about Kmart, I said, I didn't like this part or this part wasn't as good as it could be. And how not only for journalistic integrity, now that I call myself a journalist, but not only for journalistic integrity, but also just to build a relationship we trust people if there's a sense that we're actually telling the truth, which means that we can actually say some of the negatives about a brand as well in the process, which was a little mind-blowing at the time that we were trying to share this with companies. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I know you're not a big fan of buzzwords, but it sounds like you were an early part of the creator economy. <laughs> you're a pioneer there. Um, so given that, um, clearly you understood early on the importance of transparency in that and the importance of honesty in that in establishing trust. Now, you have seen the the rise and I believe a recent turn in the nature of the creator economy and of, you know, social media influencers and all of that. Um, I would love to hear your perspective on sort of how, how in general they have done good jobs and bad jobs with trust, because we all know that influencer became a little bit of a bad word for a hot minute, just because not everyone was operating in that same sort of integrity. I mean, there's a lot of things that feed into this, the sort of hundred monkey theory. If you give a hundred monkeys typewriters, they could write the complete works of Shakespeare. Um, so there's a whole bunch of people wandering around with uh, camera phones who decide that they're influencers because they have a camera phone and they can smile and make duck lips. So there's a whole scenario that goes on. I mean, probably the best book on this in the world is uh, Windfluence by Jason Falls, by the way. Um, but one of the things that, that came along with this was that people just weren't really true to who they were and what they were doing. And when I see the negatives of this, I always just see people just following a a model that they got out of some online uh, course or some kind of a, you know, just watching their other friends on uh, YouTube or uh, TikTok or anywhere. So for instance, um, uh, Fellows Paper Shredder sent me a shredder to review. And I was like, 
what in the earth? I, like, I, I'm not a paper kind of guy. There's, I'm looking around right now. There's a book by my desk. That's about it. So I got the shredder. I turned on the video camera. I had one of those uh, exercise balls that people sit on. And I put the shredder on the exercise ball. And I just kind of balanced it while the camera was rolling. And I said, I don't really know what to do. So, uh, and I just grabbed the shredder uh, manual. And I turned on the machine and went, and I went, oh, okay, well. <laughs> that worked and then i uh took it i said it says i can do credit cards so i took a card out of my wallet and went went, oh i should have thought about which card that was (laughs) and that was it uh that was the end of the video pretty much and you know fellows uh, never sent me another shredder and (laughs) you know i whatever so what i what i feel is that there's companies that make the mistake of looking at someone's following like i have pretty big you know subscriber accounts on twitter for instance and they go oh you should totally rep our thing that you would never use that's one problem on the one side the other problem is that that means some like some you know lowly marketing manager has an excel spreadsheet they're like go find 11 people with this many followers and go beg them to talk about our product that's not that's not the thing on the opposite spectrum of this are people like Casey Neistat or Mr. Beast or some of the other people who have done some incredible. I Justine is one of the world's best at this. And I feel like there's so many examples of people who can really do brand integration type work in a way that's very uh, aligned with their brand. And that's who to emulate. Yeah, it sounds like there's a misunderstanding of the difference between exposure and trust building when it comes to those type of content partnerships. So if a company or the influencer, the creator wants to do this right, what are some ways to really make sure that you're looking at the right thing? Because the exposure does matter on some level. I mean, part of why a lot of these partnerships happen is because they want to expose their brand to a new circle, to a different audience, to the audience that that creator has. So what are some considerations that both sides should bear in mind if what they want to make if they want to make sure they're getting actual trust out of the partnership? Always 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 look for the kind of person who uses your product or service. If you're the kind of person who likes X, then you're the kind of person who's going to promote and talk about X, good and bad. So if you're selling a technology, then go to tech people. If you're selling a beauty product, go to beauty people. Uh, One of the cool things I saw in influencing that got really neat about beauty brands is that suddenly there was the rise of uh, people who were assigned male at birth in various configurations uh, being beauty brand people. James Charles, for instance. Um, There's some really great examples. I mean, early James Charles before having to apologize for lots of things. But, you know... (laughs) the early part. So there's so many brands uh, where they did it right, where they said, this person likes this thing. Let's give them more of that thing. I'll give you an early example of that, though. This is you know something I've talked about a lot of different times. The, the, what started me off as doing some interesting work with General Motors was I was like, oh my gosh, this new Cadillac CTS is amazing. And their first attempt at a brand outreach said, you should promote Buick for us. And I was like, <laughs> Pardon? Did you and, uh, hear what I said? Were you listening? You Cadillac. And yeah. <laughs> and then years later, they sent me a Cadillac, a different one, and said, can you like drive around in this for a week? But for God's sake, please don't do anything interesting in it. Like, don't talk about it. Don't give a review of it. Just like <laughs> show pictures of you driving in it and stuff. Don't use okay. your personality, Chris. Yeah. It's yeah. not what they want. Don't, don't have your own thoughts. So that didn't work out so well either, but. Bless their hearts. They're still trying. Bless their hearts indeed. (laughs) So I feel like we're at this sort of 
perfect storm of flux right now. There's obviously the move to Web3, which I don't want to talk about too much. Um, <laughs> there's also the fact that the creator economy sort of hit a peak and has shifted a little bit. And then there's the fact that all of this was sort of accelerated. All these changes that are, were already in motion have been sort of accelerated by the pandemic. In 2020, suddenly we were all you know, our, our interactions with the outside world were entirely by phones, by computers. Add to that a bunch of social issues, social rec social justice reckonings, especially here in the United States. I feel like we've reached this real shift point in how we relate to brands, how we trust brands, and what we expect of brands. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how brand trust has been shifting, especially since 2020. I think one scenario that's a little different, speaking about incorporating some of the social justice things and whatnot, is that there's 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 sort of a joke about uh, for people who are interested in various social causes about how brands do what they do because uh, June comes along and it's LGBTQ month, so everything gets all rainbowy for a month. Uh, there's there's uh, you know Black Lives Matter is super important for a week or two, so we have to do some things with that with like black and white things. Um, and, and so on. Like there's just sort of almost like it's like a, a calendar that suddenly they're following, like the Hallmark card calendar. And I think that that's not necessarily the way we ought to look at this. We ought to look at, you know, which things do we want to be associated with, which brands, which 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 uh, causes, which sorts of what what are the kind of people who use blank? You know, if I'm a Yeti mug guy, then what's a Yeti mug mean? You know what? Or am I a aspiring outdoors person that sounds about right you know are there are there things that make you who you are and we really need to make sure that people are really connecting to things that are of some import to them um there's some there's some interesting ways to get uh, awareness though i mean for instance i was in a um a fun quiz show that Katie Martell put together, an online personality and uh, marketing professional. And it was so fun. It was with Perkins School for the Blind. And it was all, it was drawing attention to the concept of using alt text on photo uploads. Now, I had never once put alt text in a photo in my life. I understand the concept of it. Most platforms really weren't making it especially easy to do. But I did this game show and I had my little Perkins Access mug. And in the game show, it was super, super fun. And since then, I fill out my alt text, any single platform that will allow me to do it. And I thought, now that's a cool brand activation kind of a thing. They really got me involved. They got me to be kind of an uh, ambassador for it. I, I actually ask other people, hey, how come there's no alt text on that cool photo you uploaded? And they kind of shrug and get grumpy. But, you know, I, I think that those are the ways that we can do this. And I think that but the way to establish trust in those matters is what's trust involved, right? Trust involves doing the thing you said you're going to do, admitting when you messed up, following the very simple, uh, I got this at a restaurant. I don't know whoever created it first, but the three A's, you know, if something wrong happens, you acknowledge, you apologize, you act, you know, oh, you're right. This steak is cold. Oh, that's terrible. I apologize for that happening. I'm just going to go get you a new one. We'll start right over. We'll get it done right away. Done. That's the three A's. So trust is built from things like that. It's built from repetition. You always hear repetition is reputation. Oh, that's because it's true. And there are so many other opportunities for that. So when you're a brand, you can't think campaign. You have to think relationship. You have to think, how do I keep this going? How do I demonstrate this? Is there a way I can carry this forward? 
And that's how you start working on your projects. That's how you start thinking about, okay, well, we want to do this cool thing where we send 15 people to Guatemala. Great. What does that mean? Why are you doing it? What's it about? And how does it go beyond just the video footage you're going to get in Guatemala? And that's where it gets more exciting for everybody. And I really love that you mentioned those three A's, tying it back to a restaurant, because the, the fact is, that's not something that originated with the internet or anything like that. The basics of trust originated in real life, and we just need to apply them to the internet. Now, we've talked a lot about brand brands, because I feel, I feel like big consumer brands might... Um, may have a little bit of a different avenue towards building trust than, you know, a one-on-one brand. But I'd love to hear sort of how this can apply to a personal brand who maybe doesn't have the longevity of reputation built yet. What are some ways that people can go about building trust in, again, buzzword personal brand, but we're on Let's Talk About Brands, what we talk about. How can people really work on building that trust when they don't have as much of a track record just yet? So I've published ebooks about personal brand from way back in the day. I used to get in big arguments with people about my appreciation of personal brand. So I'm no, I'm no uh, stranger to it. Also no stranger to love. Um, I can <laughs> tell you that the... So there's people who use certain elements of what they consider branding uh, who do it well. And then there's a lot of people who do it just sort of to check a box. Um, the color red is fiercely associated with Christine Gritman. You know, the, you've, you've done a great bit of work to you know make a certain look and feel, to sort of repeat that look and feel, to you know create so many personalized gifts. That's I mean, that's some real advertising and marketing wizardry right there. Um, I tend to come to talk about the other elements that aren't those sorts of things, because there's only so many of you. There's only so many uh, yellow tux Jessies in the world. Jesse Cole, who runs the Savannah Bananas, who in public is only ever seen in a yellow tuxedo. I'm dying to get him on my show, by the way. I've admired him since I first saw him at Social Media Marketing World 2017. <laughs> Put in He's, a good word well, for me with Jesse. <laughs> I will. He's, uh, you know, but listen, the kid's uh, grown up a little bit. He's he's on, you know, ESPN2 and things like that. Hit the big time. I don't know if I could get him anymore. But uh, with personal brand, you know, beyond the sort of look and feel stuff that you you think about when you think about brand, I mean, the Coca-Cola logo is known worldwide, that sort of thing. You can't disagree with that sort of repetition part of things. But there was a book I wrote about this also with Julian Smith that came out after Trust Agents called The Impact Equation. And a lot of people loved trust agents. Not as many people loved the impact equation because it was work. Um, and in it, I used the word create to make a simple formula. So impact equals contrast times reach plus exposure plus articulation plus trust. There's that word again, plus echo. So it spells create. So let's go slow. Contrast. What makes you stand out? What makes you different from the other people? It's not usually a color. It's usually the thing that, you know, I'm always upbeat or I am a person who gives great detailed information or I have a funny turn of phrase. Reach plus exposure are the basics of advertising. How far has your message gone and how many times have people seen it? The fact that, Christine, you're, you know, the red stuff, the, the look and feel that you've created. I've been exposed to that so many times that if I just saw something go by and there was a penguin in the spot where you were supposed to be, I'd be like, that's Christine's <laughs> penguin, right? 
reads plus exposure. Articulation. How do you say clearly, simply, briefly what you are? If you can't explain your brand in a very simple way, and if you can't explain your interests or who you help or anything in very articulate ways, you're doomed. Trust and echo are the human elements. Trust we've talked about a lot, so I won't go into it much. Echo is, do people see themselves in you? Great example of somebody who does echo to the top is Adele. If you ever watch an Adele concert, half the time she's talking directly to the people in the concert. She's saying, have you ever had that kind of a moment? You're, you finish the night, you've had a few drinks, you think, oh, I just need to go get a burger. But you don't want anyone to know you get the burger. So you tell to say to your friends, I'll catch you later. And then you like leave and you go get a burger privately or whatever. That's like a very personalized, personable kind of a thing that she will say. And you go, oh, my gosh, I'm just like Adele, right? Echo that uh, do I see myself in someone else? That's another part of impact. So that whole thing, like I said, spell the word create. You've got the impact equation. That's personal branding. I love that. All right. Well, to that end, I didn't have a penguin handy, but a polar bear is more on brand for me. I love polar bears. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Last time I had you on my old show, I brought cheddar cheese. This time I bring polar bears. <laughs> you And it worked the same way. I'm laughing very deeply. I did an entire live stream. Show. I did an entire live stream once where I was a guest and I just had my bobblehead of myself that I got from Jessica Phillips did the entire program for me. And I, and I didn't tell the hosts I was doing. It was a weird show. but <laughs> And I just didn't acknowledge it. I'm like, why, why are you laughing? What's, what's so funny? <laughs> well, anyway, I could talk about this all dang day, but it is a half-hour show. So, Chris Brogan, please tell the folks at home where they can find you, why they should find you, and what they'll find there. You know what? Let's do it easy. Just go to chrisbrogan.com slash ML for newsletter. That's the letter I put out every Sunday. I've done it every Sunday since 2009. Again, talk about reputation is reputation. Repu rep bleh, bleh. Repetition is reputation. Uh, ChrisBrogan.com slash NL. Why should you find me? I don't know. Maybe you thought it was, I was funny or personable or you're like, oh, that guy has some perspective. Or maybe you wanted to see what it's like when somebody has a newsletter that if you hit reply, they actually reply back to you like a normal human being. That, that one alone is worth it. Which I've done. It's true. It's true fact. I've gotten replies. And I actually printed out one of your newsletters. I wish I had it within grabbing distance. But <laughs> but you but you've had a newsletter printed out that is actually on display in my office, which is very messy right now. Um, all right. And even though we've gone over, I am going to ask, why should people trust you? I think they should probably form their own opinion about that. Like um, that. But I'm the kind of guy... Uh, I'll tell you the same thing if we're washing our hands in the restroom that I will, you know, on a stage in front of thousands. So it's, I've just don't, I don't, I might not just be that smart, but all I do is I just have the one personality. What you get is what you get. So I don't think of it as authentic. I don't think of it as any of those words that people say. I just think that um, I'm just not that clever. I'm just exactly who I am. I like to say I keep it real because I'm lazy. I, I don't mm. have it in me to play a whole second part. And we've hung out. We we know that this is, you're you, I'm me. We're good peeps. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for being here, Chris. This was awesome. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun.
Yay. And thanks to you for being here as well, whether you are listening to this show on the Adweek Podcast Network or if you're watching it on YouTube. Either way, subscribe. And I will be coming at you actually not next week because this is the last episode before the holiday break. But I will be coming at you in January 2023 with more great guest experts talking about branding. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and Jada Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.